0: Hello swimmers and welcome to another episode of Torpedo Swim Talk podcast. I'm your host Danielle Sperling and each week I talk to a master swimmer from around the world about their swimming journey. Before I introduce today's guest we've got some really exciting news to share with you. We'll be doing some pool deck interviews with all the big name swimmers swimming at the FINA World short course titles in Melbourne this week. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at torpedo underscore swim talk for all the news from pool deck. Today's guest on the podcast is US Paralympic medalist Jamal Hill, and he has a pretty extraordinary and amazing journey to share with us. From discovering he had CMT at 10 years of age, to finding master swimming, and then to winning bronze in 53 at last year's Paralympics. Jamal is a passionate advocate for swimming. He's also an educator, a philanthropist, and recently was honored with a UN role as a young leader for a two-year term. We talked about all this and so much more. Let's hear from Jamal now. Thank you, Hi, Jamal. Thanks for joining us on the podcast today.
1: Absolutely, Danielle. Happy to be here.
0: Yeah. It's great to have you. Where are you based in California?
1: I'm based out of Los Angeles proper. I'm an Inglewood baby, so that's about five minutes from LAX. Born in, uh, you know, born in Los Angeles County, grew up in Inglewood. Inglewood is the city of champions, by the way. Uh, so grew up in Inglewood my whole life. Um, yeah, literally, you know, short of summer camps and you know uh, an out-of-state college experience, I've pretty much lived only. Pretty much like lived in my parents' house for most of my life.
0: Cool. Well, that's nice. Is it a good place to live, LA?
1: Oh yeah. I mean, I'm a native. I love it. Um yeah, I think it's, you know, I've been all around the world, seen a lot of things. Uh met some really great people. I think for me it's just like one of those there's nothing ever quite like home. You know, and my home just happens to be this city. So I love it. I think anything anyone can want is here um and i think it also you know like i think it it uh, it puts it put a good challenge to me and like a lot of people that i know coming up just in the way of uh, you know who doesn't want to air quotes make it right who doesn't want to be successful you know quote unquote whatever that means to you but uh to be in this city where so many people come to try and make it uh and to really kind of already just kind of already be in the mix to be witnessing so many things it like it puts a little bit of pressure on you. Like it puts a good level of pressure on you like okay, well, I got to live up to this. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Do you think you'll keep swimming through to to the 28 Olympics in LA?
1: Oh, I don't want to uh let the competition know what the plan is. Um so what I'll say <laughs> at this point in time, one thing I learned from Tokyo is you got to take games one game at a time. So next up is Paris. And, you know, we'll we'll go and we'll do our best in Paris and we'll take it from there.
0: <laughs> well, here's an important question for all LA natives. Do you follow the Clippers or the Lakers?
1: Oh, that's not an important question. That's a no-brainer. That is the Lakers, 100%. If anyone says Clippers, you know that you should not trust them at all.
0: <laughs> I'm glad that you said that because I'm also a Lakers supporter. <laughs> Love the Lakers. Yeah,
1: you know. The Clippers are doing better. Don't get me wrong. Like, if the Lakers aren't in the game, I'll go for the Clippers. Yeah, but Lakers are a dynasty. Clippers has to win probably like ten championships before they convert one Laker fan. They got to go win ten championships at least. (laughs) So until that time, Lakers all day, baby.
0: (laughs) Oh, that's good. We should get back onto swimming now, of course. But I could talk basketball with you as well. Um, Which which pool do you do most of your swimming at these days?
1: yeah so um i train out of the boys and girls club of pasadena uh myself and my coach we run a uh we run a century one a pro program there 18 and over program and uh, so pretty much again paralympian like myself olympic hopefuls uh other Paralympic hopefuls, people fly from all around the world and we do that all out of the boys and girls club of pasadena so it's really 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 great thing uh just because when we have our own facility but then number two, we're still right there in a pretty much underprivileged community allowing these youth not only to get swim education, but also like to see, wow, like, I've never seen a pro swimmer before. And they come here every day, <laughs> you know, so, uh, so it's pretty cool.
0: You've got such an amazing swim journey, Jamal, um, which culminated in a bronze medal at last year's Paralympics. But I'm interested for you to share how you first got started in swimming
1: oh i first got started in swimming mommy and me classes believe it or not mommy and me 10 months old um yeah my mom couldn't really swim she was athletic so she could move in the water but like she couldn't swim uh and so pretty much when i was born her thing was yeah this kid's gonna know how to swim that's gonna be his thing he's gonna be a swimmer uh and it was it was just kind of you know i think a lot of people can relate to this when you're a kid um, and maybe you pick up piano, you pick up violin, you pick up basketball, you pick up swimming, you pick up soccer. you know now, there's a lot of kids out there who pick these things up and like have no interest in them, right? They usually don't get that good, they want to do the next thing, but we've all known that one thing that we tried it, and we were actually pretty good at it, and we just wanted to keep doing more and more of it, so that was swimming for me. It went from mommy and me to swim lessons to joining my first swim team at like, I don't know, maybe six, seven years old. Yeah, it was a year round program. So, you know, we did the whole meat circuit, you know, chairs, canopies, ramen, cup of noodles, hot chocolate for years. We did that (laughs) Um, at 10 years old. That's when I was diagnosed with my neuropathy. Uh, It's currently called Charcot Marie tooth, but there's a growing movement. (laughs) There's a growing movement to change the name to Hill's disease. Uh, it's got a little bit of the Lou Gehrig effect. So pretty much uh, at this point in time, I'm gonna say it, it's it's a bit embarrassing, but I'll say it. At this point in time, I probably have, I'm one of the most notable people that live with this disease. I'm also not only one of the most notable people, but one of the people who are like, really just kind of showing what all you can accomplish, even despite of this disease. And so I think just kind of me living my own truth has started to inspire pretty much a a sect, a group of people to be like, hey, I have no clue who Charcot Marie or Tooth are. We should start calling this thing Hills Disease. Uh, (laughs) So (laughs) there you go. Um, That's an honor for you. That's
0: lovely. It
1: is. You know, it is definitely an honor. We'll see where it goes. Uh, Definitely not a goal that I set out at any point in my life. (laughs) But um, as long as it's inspiring people and, and making the world a more cohesive, peaceful place, I'm all for it.
0: Yeah. And if you don't mind me asking, what effect does that have on your body, particularly when you're swimming?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, Hill's disease, also known as Charcot-Marie-Tooth. Uh, ultimately, uh, how it affects me in, in a very inflamed state, I'll go into a fully, uh, pretty much a fully paralytic trance. Um, I'm not able to pretty much fire neurons throughout my body. I can move my head and, and, and talk, but that's about it. On a day-to-day basis, it really just affects my extremities, um, what scientists call peripheral nerves. So, from my kneecaps to the soles of my feet, I have zero percent nerve capacity, and from my elbows to my fingertips, I have about thirty percent nerve capacity. Uh, So, I've been living with it almost almost two decades now, close to two decades. Uh, So, uh, I call it the illusion of movement. I've, I've mastered some things in terms of movement and doing things, but running jumping uh calf raises wiggling my toes um not dropping things all of these are extreme challenges even just standing it really does take a a pretty severe toll on my central nervous system so it, it really is a constant uphill battle
0: I mean, it's amazing that you're, um, you competed at the Paralympics. You, you were able to dive and, and turn with that nerve sensation in your lower legs. How do you sort of overcome that, particularly on the dive?
1: Yeah, on the dive, we've done a lot of things. We've tried a lot of different things. Um, uh, I've done some unconventional starts to try and build momentum and things like that. At this point, uh, everything just comes down to body line. Everything just comes down to body line at this point, um, Stand relaxed uh, and 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 really just like holding whatever momentum I can't hold into the water. So I think that's just the number one thing, no matter who you are, uh, master swimmer, Paralympic swimmer, Olympic swimmer, age group swimmer, um, the best thing you can ever do for yourself is to always come back to the fundamentals. And every time you come back to the fundamentals, you should learn something new. So, So that's my two cents about diving. And then flip turns, again i've had i've had almost two decades also of swimming experience right i've had from like 0 to 10 and then i had from like 16 to 28 now so i've had pretty much over two decades of swimming experience nearly two decades of competitive swimming experience uh and that is really just it's been trial and error um it's been trial and error i'm a much better long course swimmer a lot less turns in long course uh so very fortunate that the paralympic platform is a long course pool uh, but other than that, you know, I wish there was some secret to it. I just do the best I can do. You know, I, I flip when it's time to flip. And as soon as I feel the wall, that's when I push. Now, how, how that relates in terms of time, and you know, I can't control that. But when I feel the wall, that's when I push it.
0: I've, I know you mentioned your coach before. And I've heard you in the past mention your coach, Wilma, wong as your very own mr miyagi from karate kid Mm -hmm. tell us why you say that why do you you class her as mr miyagi or mrs miyagi i should say
1: yeah mrs miyagi right yeah um really just because well quite frankly the obvious reason is because i'm a black man and she is well a chinese woman uh and we're both ultimately participating in what is in an individual sport right which is very similar to karate very similar to fighting and also in the karate kid Daniel's son right or Jaden Smith for the new generation uh he's a complete newbie right he he's a rook there's no way this kid has what it takes he's getting beat up by these kids at the beginning of the movie and so you know ultimately that's what it is he finds somebody uh for whatever reason this person wants to, help them, wants to help them become better, Um, obviously has a lot of insight, has a lot of knowledge. But again, for whatever reason, hasn't found the right athlete, hasn't found the right relationship to express that, to feel like they can blossom and really share all of their insight and wisdom. So I think that that's really like the, the core elements of the film is really like what brings me to say that we are the Karate Kid and and Mr. Miyagi, Mrs. Miyagi.
0: (laughs) How long have you been working with Wilma now?
1: Oh man, excuse me. Wilma and I got together in 2017. So it's been 2017, 18, 19. So yeah, it's been over four years, coming up on five years that that we've been collaborating.
0: Yeah. And you you mentioned earlier, you've set up um, a group of pro swimmers with yourself in Mm the squad. So how many do you have training with you in each session?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it is, you know what? I'll tell you the truth. It is, it is, uh, It's a pretty elite group of swimmers, Um, but I think what makes our group special is not how many people are in the pool any given day. That's actually my favorite part. We have a four lane, 25 meter pool. Most days. No, we have five lane, 25 meter pool. Most days, everyone will get a lane. Everyone gets their own lane. Uh, But I think what makes this really interesting is just our international base. That athletes will travel from all over the nation. They'll travel from all over the world. Ultimately, to come and to feel the energy, to feel the chemistry that I bring to our team, to feel the instruction and the technical aspects that Wilma brings to athletes. Uh, And they'll come and they'll do, you know, one week or six week bids with our team, just training and preparing for whatever big competition they're training for. Uh, So it it really is nice. Like I said, that's an 18 and over team. Uh, But we do, uh, I'll tell you this, we do make exceptions because the 2028 games are coming to Los Angeles. And, uh, you know, it, it, there, there are whispers in the background that there will be a swim uphill athlete representing Team USA uh, at those games. So well, we definitely keep our eye out for for not maybe so much young talent, but young people who who want it, you know, who, who are really just going to show up day in and day out and, and are going to be coachable. So there's always an opportunity to break the rules that that, that is definitely a core principle of ours rules are meant to be broken uh but it's my team so i make the law
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, and what does a typical training week look like for you at the moment
1: at the moment uh well right now we're coming into the end of the year um so my biological clock is kind of going into hibernation mode uh which actually lines up very nicely with just kind of the entire year Even when I'm in the best shape, usually like November, December, January, you just kind of sleepy months from my body. Again, it just, I think it's that natural circadian rhythm that like 10,000 year old human mind that wants to, you know, hibernate in the winters. Uh, That said, at this time, I'm putting in about four to five hours a day training, uh, two to three hours in the pool, and then uh, a good, you know, ultimately another two hours that will involve dry land and different recovery techniques.
0: And having a look at what you do in the pool, can you give us a bit of a sample of a session that you would, or what session did you do this morning?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So that session is going to look like we're going to do, I'll come into the pool, I'll start off with, I'll do 100 squats, get in the pool, I'll do an hour of technique. That could vary, you know, strokes, styles. do an hour of technique. Um, And then we'll come in, we'll do our main set uh we we usually do broken us rpt sets so pretty much all sprint sets all race pace we'll pretty much do an hour of set work um it may be a main set of 2050s on the minute right 200 short course meters pool and we'll wind down after that and then we might come into some bungee work and some flip turn work and things like that and then that third hour i got this really funky underwater bicycle so i'll break out my underwater bicycle and I'll get on that and I'll pretty much work a breathing technique for an hour, you know, as I flush the lactic acid and just improve my aerobic base. So that's what the three pool hours look like on a daily basis.
0: Right. Hey, With the with the underwater bicycle, do you have to wear a snorkel to? Or, yeah, yeah for sure. so well, I mean,
1: you can you can leave your head you out in the water. Up. A lot of yeah. times I will just I'll leave my head out, you know, I have my phone next to it. So I've got my timer going. I've got my podcast or whatever going you know i've got your podcast going as i ride <laughs> um but yeah sometimes i do want that full submerging i do want all of that hydrostatic pressure so i will just pop on a snorkel and uh, and be fully submerged for that hour
0: yeah wow that's interesting i've, I've never seen that done before so i have to have a look at that
1: yeah you got to check it out it's called hydro rider hydro rider it's just it's, it's ultimately a stationary bicycle it's a stationary bicycle designed for the water so just the sheer weight of it its you know maybe an aluminum frame or whatever type of waterproof metal material they have for the bike it just sits on the bottom uh no need to do anything extra Uh, and easy to take out it's really a magnificent uh piece of aquatic engineering so shout out to Hydro Rider
0: tell us about your experience in Tokyo last year at the Paralympics what was your biggest takeaway from racing there
1: um, that's really powerful, man. There were so many amazing lessons that I learned in Tokyo. So many lessons. Um, if I had to take, if I had to take in, man, it's tough. because like, they're, I'm literally telling you, there's so many good ones. It's, it's hard. Give, give just, us
0: more than one. That's okay. Give I'll, I'll give you,
1: I'll give you, I'll give you two. <laughs> I'll give you two I won't be. Stingy. I'll
0: give okay. You.
1: Number one takeaway is that, uh, the number one takeaway is that you have to you have to be comfortable being yourself and this is why i say that we're in tokyo it's under the guys right it's under the context of COVID 19. so there are extreme parameters and limitations everyone's wearing a mask at all times you're only allowed to be at the pool when you're competing there are no fans in the stadium all these things no family none of those things uh, and, and, and what I say this for is because this is an extremely stressful environment. Most athletes, me included, we have never competed on this level in this environment before, right? There is no roar of the crowd there. This is completely foreign to everyone there, even if it's not your first Paralympic Games, it's completely foreign to everyone there. And so naturally when those races start to get closer, uh, the emotion of it all starts to take over, right? Now, I'm not somebody who worries in advance. I'm a firm believer in you don't need to worry any of those things. If there's a deadline, when the deadline comes, trust me, the universe will bestow every emotion upon you. Like You don't have to think about it in advance. So I'm feeling nervous. I'm feeling hysterical. I reach out to my home team. Hey, I need these resources. I need help. Right. We get my coach on the phone, my mental coach, my spiritual coach. Uh, we, We get my emotional coach on the phone. All these different people who are ultimately helping me regather myself. And it comes time for my final. Now, you've all seen finals at the Olympics, right? How do they come out? They come out in the big robe. They got their dark goggles. They got their cap. They got all these things. And it's all about intimidation, right? Well, I went out for my final, the biggest stage of the world, wearing a tank top some sweatshorts and some flip-flops with no socks on. Uh, and the reason I did that is because without any fans there, it felt like just another day of practice, honestly. And so that's how I walk out to practice pretty much every single day here in Southern California, in the tank top, shorts, and flip-flops. Uh, so that was a really powerful thing. Me not trying to fit some type of mold of what I thought a champion had to look like. Me not trying to do something that I thought, you know, just all these things, I was able to just let me be me in that moment. And that was a very powerful thing for me. It was it was supreme confidence because I know I've walked onto the pool deck like this thousands of times. Uh, So that's number one. You got to be comfortable with you uh, and, 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 and don't get caught up in whatever, you know, you think it's supposed to be. The second thing is from a competitive standpoint. And that is when the pressure is on, it's important for you to know that everyone is feeling the pressure. It is important for you to know that. When you are competing, you are not the only one that is nervous. Chances are, if you're prepared, if you're a champion, if you're anything like Jamal Hill, you're probably the most prepared. You're probably the least nervous. But everyone there is nervous. Everyone there is worried. And what you want to do is you want to pay attention to that. You want to pay attention to that. You want to pay attention to the circumstances that people who sometimes perform better than you and sometimes perform worse than you perform under these stressful circumstances. I learned so much about my competition in Tokyo. I learned who needed to have their parents in the crowd in order to swim fast. I learned who was trying to be macho and who wanted to pretend like they weren't nervous and how that affected. I learned so much. And these are things that no one will tell you These are things that you really have to be acute and you have to be sharp and you have to be paying attention have to be aware and present in the moment in order to take advantage of in future competitions. Uh, So those are the two big things. Be yourself. Figure out what that means to you and own it. Number two, uh, you must be ultimately what I'm saying is you must be omniscient. Okay, you must be omni aware. You must be aware of your surroundings, of your competition and how everyone is reacting to this environment because you never know how that may benefit you in the future so uh those are my two pieces
0: yeah i love those two takeaways lots to digest there really really good information and i think um you know a lot of people you know when i ask that question of people that I have on the podcast who've been to the olympics i've never had such an honest answer so i really thank you for that jamal that's lovely you're welcome i wanted to also I wanted to also ask you a little bit about your master's competitions because you've swum in a few of those. How did you find that experience?
1: Master's swimming is really such a special organization and community. You know, obviously the pitch, right, is 18 to 99, or I guess we got people swimming in the hundreds, um, but 18 until the day you die, right? You can be a master swimmer. Uh, my personal master's experience was so powerful because when I dropped out of college in 2016, I was unknown, completely unranked swimmer. I did not have any of the time to go to sectional USA swimming meets. I did not have any of the time to go to some of these bigger meets to even try and make swimming a professional career. But master swimming was there. Master swimming provided me a program. It provided me a community, it provided me swim meets. It provided me opportunities to race, to gain racing experience. Uh, to compete to get those times you know so when we just look at the story of jamal hill uh i'm not here i'm probably not a paralympic medalist if it was not for master swimming uh and and it's great you know literally just this past weekend i was at uh, a master swimming national championships here in southern california uh hunting down some short course meter american records which is also really great because i can break american paralympic records at master swimming competitions uh so yeah if you, if you can't tell I'm, I'm a big proponent of of what master swimming does obviously even more than just competitive swimming they have you know they, they really do have their hearts in the right place when it comes to spreading the love and enjoyment that is swimming especially for adults who don't know how to swim or or who have the fear of water and really opening that door for them so yeah big shout out to the to the masters and the spms family do you do you swim with the U.S. Um, MS Club? Yeah, absolutely. So I currently I swim with so the club I was telling you about, that's the USA Swimming Club, my club. That's the Swim Up Hill Victors. When I go to Masters Meets, I represent Golden Road. Golden Road uh, of the Golden Road Brewery here in Southern California. Shout out to Golden Road Brewery. Uh, we're going to be doing some major things in the new year, so stay tuned for that. But uh, Golden Road Aquatics is is really man they just got the most spirit uh the biggest hearts right out of burbank california so shout out to mike lucero mario marshall and the entire golden road aquatics family
0: yeah they sound like a co- a good crew of people
1: oh they're loud listen when i get up on the blocks <laughs> they're the only people that are screaming and making noise you know so <laughs> you, you start you start blushing before your ace <laughs> <laughs>
0: that's nice uh, it's, it's good that you're feeling the love that's really nice I wanted to talk to you about your um, foundation that you founded, Swim Uphill. Tell us why you started that and what it's all about.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think the number one thing is that uh, obviously, technically speaking, it is a not-for-profit, but I like to describe it as a for-purpose organization, right? Uh, We're doing this for a purpose. There are profits involved in building any business. Uh, In fact, especially, air quotes, a not-for-profit business, right? Because it has to be built from the ground up, you don't have uh, some of the luxuries that you do in other businesses that I've operated from like angel ambassadors and things like that. It really is truly bootstrapped. Um, it's from the people, it's by the people, and it's for the people. Uh, and the reason it came about for me was back in 2018, I won my first national championships in the Paralympics. I'm wearing a nice shiny gold medal, smiling. And literally I have a moment, I have an epiphany, I have an enlightenment. Uh, everything goes bleached white in a blink and i have this download of information that says jamal this is not the true value of a champion um everybody wins and loses that's just a part of the game medals are not what make men and women uh, of high integrity of high standard. what makes men and women of high integrity of high standard what makes champions are, is not only their ability to inspire people with their athletic feats right but it's their ability to inspire people to live a holistically better life and an attempt to influence others to live a holistically better life. Uh, So after I had this moment of nirvana, and I was back into my body, I said, okay, that was a lot. How do I apply this? Well, I've been a lifeguard for 10 years up until that point. Obviously, I'm a professional swimmer, and a little bit of research uncovered to me that believe it or not, there are some million people that go drowning every year. Uh, unofficially, right? Officially, it's, it's closer to maybe 300,000. But unofficially, especially when we consider low middle income countries where data and statistics um, and, and accounting sciences are really just far from the priority. It's really closer to a million people. And uh, I was inspired. I said, wow, this drowning problem has been going on for a long time. And quite frankly, I don't think it should go on any longer. I think our world is too advanced. I think this is too much of a low hanging fruit. Uh, somebody needs to create some type of educational platform and build some type of network that's going to empower people, that's going to meet them where they are, and that is going to be accessible to anyone in a low or middle income community, regardless of their nation, country, creed, or belief. Uh, and that's ultimately what inspired us to start the Swim Up Hill Foundation. That's what inspired our methodology, uh, which at this point is very quickly moving towards impacting one million people every year around the world. Uh, this past summer, we ran our first international program in Columbia. We're already contracted with uh, about 50 YMCA's across the United States. Uh, I hope to begin launching a program in Australia very soon, hopefully bringing a program to Melbourne. Uh, so that's really how how I got into it. And and that's where we are right
0: right and so when you say launch the program what does that look like on the ground so what what happens if you were you're going to bring that to melbourne what are you going to do
1: yeah that that makes perfect sense well the beautiful part about it is is that the the foundation of our program uh is kind of interwoven into equity uh it's actually interwoven into internet equity so Students begin our five hour curriculum online from their homes using household items like a bowl, a bench, and a bucket. Using these household items, we teach students uh, number one, how to breathe properly air in the mouth, out the nose, how to move their arms for an elementary breaststroke, and then how to time that breath with the arms. Uh, In addition to that, online, we're able to uh, provide post traumatic stress disorder um, therapies to individuals who have. Traumatic experience with water, who have fears of water. Uh, so it's essentially, it's essentially a, uh, it's essentially a flight simulator for a potential pilot. We're able to put our students through these simulations in controlled, comfortable environments from anywhere in the world, especially from their own homes. So that when the time comes for us to run an in-pool program or for them to go to a program with one of our international licensees, they already have the prerequisites for success. There's no more showing up to the pool oh my god i'm scared to put my face in the water well we've already overcome that a long time ago Uh, so i think that's why we've been so successful and that's a hundred percent why we've been able to expand internationally so quickly
0: oh i think that's a it's a wonderful wonderful way of doing things i I love that i have seen some footage of it on uh, youtube with some um a little kid lying down with his face in a bowl a bowl of water and he's two hands out here in the bowl. So that's, yeah, that's wonderful. I have a background in, um, teaching, um, physical education, and I've come across a lot of kids, um, newly arrived Australians over my years in teaching. And that is the one thing that they've never had that exposure to water and they're frightened to put their head down. Um, and once we overcome that, they can actually take off really quickly.
1: You know, so, so that, that's what I tell our team, that's what I tell our Summer Pill Foundation family, from our donors to our sponsors, to our partners, to our licensees. Uh, there's only one thing in this world that's like rocket science, and believe it or not, it's rocket science. Uh, it's learning to swim. <laughs> it's not rocket science. Uh, you know, so, so at the foundation, uh, we pretty much, we run like a McDonald's, we run a McDonald's style operation. My name is Ray Kroc. I'm the president and founder, uh, and it is our job as an organization to serve millions, if not billions of people, a basic standard level of some education that they can enjoy the water, but more importantly, build confidence and potentially save their own lives. That is that is our classic hamburger. That is the Happy Meal. That is what we do, and we do it very well.
0: Well, yeah, I love that Happy Meal. That sounds fantastic. Yes, (laughs) (laughs) ma'am. And from your work with Swim Uphill, you've just been um, given the role of UN um, Young Leader. Tell us about that, because that's a a real honour being picked as one of the young leaders for the UN.
1: It actually is a tremendous honour. So uh, I was was selected. I've, I've been appointed to a cohort, 17 young leaders from across the globe, various countries. Only one of two uh, children from the United States. My other cohort member here in the United States is actually in training to be an astronaut right now. Uh, so shout out to her doing some really impressive things uh, in, in in the in the aeronautics, you know, astronomy world. Uh, you know, so so shout out to her. But ultimately, believe it or not, but believe it or no, listen. But, but believe it or not, uh, the the reason why I was even connected with the United Nations, uh, it wasn't even necessarily through my work with the Swim Up Hill Foundation, Danielle. Uh, well, when I set out and I became a pro swimmer, uh, number one, I was just like, well, look, I love this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to need sponsors. Uh, but I'm also going to need to make some money. right?" And, 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 and trust me when I say I'm probably one of definitely 20 professional swimmers, in america who, who are in the who are in the pay category that i'm in a hundred percent secondarily we started that foundation this is for the people this is to meet this need of aquatic education in founding the foundation i realized well wow i'm, I'm doing what i love and that's pro swim and that's great for jamal slap on my back we've got the foundation on over here that's meeting the people right that that's meeting Ultimately, the roots, right? The bottom of the tree. Uh, but what about the people who are the lifeguards? What about the people who are the swim instructors? What about the people who are the aquatics directors across the nation? They don't have any support, right? And this is a multi sectoral issue that is drowning, right? Like, this is a multi sectoral issue that is education in general, that is confidence building. Uh, so, we started a media company. It's actually grown to become the Arguably, the second-largest aquatics media company in the United States, uh, definitely top five in the world, and in creating educational resources, we you know ultimately we provide professional development for aquatics professionals, and uh, building resources, and in bringing in the best, brightest, sharpest minds from around the world to help improve our facilities across the nation. I encountered the UN Youth Secretary Envoy. Uh, and then in interviewing her and then bringing her into our aquatics state family, uh, you know, for the benefit of these aquatics professionals, they came, you know, pretty much into knowledge of all these other things. They were like, "Okay, you got to come, you got to apply, you got to be a part of this." So that's actually how I ended up getting tied into the United Nations. Originally, I reached out to them to bring their knowledge and expertise as a resource for people on the ground here.
0: Did you have to go into the headquarters in New York for that ceremony, or was it all done virtually?
1: <clears throat> no, that's actually wonderful. So we'll be heading Uh, myself and other cohort members will be going officially next year to the New York headquarters, Uh, you know, for, for the official media, you know, handshake, this, that and the other. However, I was in New York just a couple weeks ago for the Golden Goggles here in the U.S. And uh, while I was there, I 100 percent reached out to come to my connections at the United Nations. And I went down to the headquarters and, and I had a lovely day on campus. Um, it was really nice to be able to connect with, you know, ultimately the people who were helping now to facilitate a lot of my work with the foundation uh, on an international scale. So uh, really, really wonderful office, um, the, the office of the Envoy on Youth. Uh, and from what I could see, uh, we're really a level headed group representing our world's nations at the United Nations.
0: And you came out to australia earlier in the year for jewel in the pool what did you think about our facilities out here and and about that competition
1: you know uh for number one olympic park i think it's a world-class facility i think the management at olympic park uh world-class management world-class staff i was thoroughly impressed from top to bottom so impressed in fact that i reached out to the leadership at the Sydney Olympic Park uh, to interview them, to bring them onto our aquatic state platform so that other people around the world could really learn, you know, what it takes and what goes into managing a facility uh, and programs as robust as these. So that that said, first and foremost, my my hats off uh, to them. Number two, I think Sydney is a wonderful place. It reminds me a lot of California, kind of a mix between Los Angeles and, and San Francisco. Uh, never been to Australia before I think it's a beautiful country. Um, the people are extremely friendly and the people in general uh, met, met some lovely people who run a Hawaii, Hawaii cafe uh, down in Sydney. they really are they really are family now. Uh, so that, that was that. when we talk about the competition, uh, it was actually a lot of fun. it was it was really a lot of fun, primarily because of this hyped up rivalry right between the US uh, and Australia. And I say this with uh, absolute knowledge of what it is that I'm saying. I think like everyone was trying to make it seem like there was going to be this crazy rivalry. I know swimming is huge in Australia, but like it's just like not better than the United States. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you
0: better be careful. It's, 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 it's
1: just it's just not better than you know. Now everybody wins and loses, but like when you put us head to head, I'm gonna put my money on the home team every. Every freaking day of the week, it doesn't matter. Uh, and, and that goes even against Australia, which is, as we all know, 100% one of the powerhouses and most likely always will be one of the powerhouses in swimming. So uh, it was a great experience. Um, we had an opportunity to break records, uh, to, to, to make history um, as a as Unified event with the first uh, able-bodied, um, para, para-bodied or you know, whatever the language is um uh uh, tandem relay right so we had two olympic athletes and two paralympic athletes swimming on the same team head to head against their counterparts from the opposing country so it really was a fantastic experience and uh just shout out to the aussies for just coming out um and showing so much love and support they freaking packed that stadium on saturday night uh on sunday night they were still standing out you know, in, in the in the light drizzle, waiting to to have things signed and to get handshakes and take photos, uh, and and I think that's an energy as a swimmer that you usually only experience at the largest competitions in the world. Um, so to have essentially a dual meet uh, with the packed stadium, uh, you, you know, I hope so, but I don't know that I would experience anything like that ever again.
0: Oh, it's a, such an interesting sort of version of the competition with the skins races and and the Broken 800s and things like that. Did you enjoy that sort of different aspect of it as well?
1: Oh, my gosh. Shout out to my teammate, Bella Sims. Bella, I hope you listen to this podcast one day. Uh, the Women's Broken 800, by far the most inspirational and exciting event that I've ever had the privilege to witness in my short life. Um, I give complete credit to each and every one of those six ladies. Uh, I think all of their performances helped me to go on in the very next event and 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 set uh ultimately set a new american record in the 50 free and then almost break a world record in the 50 free uh just because i was so fired up watching them do it nothing short of impossible uh so so it was a wonderful format from the flamethrowers uh to the bleachers side by side um you know to, to the light joust between the teams uh, it really was just a truly, truly fun experience. Uh, I had a good time.
0: Oh, that's that's good. I mean, I hope, I hope they're going to do more of those in the coming years. Let's hope. Fingers yeah.
1: crossed. Fingers crossed. Absolutely.
0: I like to ask everyone that comes on the podcast a deep dive five questions, a bit of a snapshot of your swimming. So what is your favorite pool that you've ever swum in?
1: Icebergs. Iceberg's pool. Yep. Shout out to shout out to Sydney.
0: Yep. Yeah, it's a good one. Yeah, it's it's a popular answer. What about your favorite pre-race meal? Steak. Oh,
1: steak. How
0: how far? Yeah. How many hours before would you have?
1: Oh, I'm gonna do. Well, steak is steak is the night before. The night before. Yeah. Yes, I'm I'm doing a nice, expensive, well cooked, medium rare piece of meat
0: nice and if you have that the night before what do you have on the morning before you race
1: oh on the morning of the race um yeah that's a that's a bit of a tough one usually just like a full breakfast i'll go bacon eggs uh, maybe light on eggs more bacon i'm gonna get some some simple carbs in definitely some white potatoes are gonna get in there um, probably something with some citric acid, ideally some grapefruit juice, uh, maybe some watermelon to just really retain that water and then also still get those sugars. So it's pretty much just like a sugar rush in the mornings. Again, simple carbs and, uh, and, 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 you know, like natural, natural fruit sugar combined with some, some good protein.
0: Yeah. Sounds good. And what's your best tip for a fast 50 freestyle?
1: Best tip for a fast 50 freestyle. If you are not a world-class athlete, like Olympic level, and you cannot swim 50 meters in 21 seconds, uh, chances are you're going to need to breathe. So the best thing I can tell you is to plan exactly where you are going to take your breath. Uh, That's the best thing you can do. So if you're taking one, two, or three breaths across that 50 meters, you should know exactly where and when you will take each of those breaths before
0: the race. Great tip. Yeah, because I think a lot of master swimmers do not think about that at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a great tip. What about your favourite freestyle drill? I know you do a lot of technique work in your training.
1: Yeah, favourite freestyle drill is sculling. Uh, people massively underestimate the value of sculling. Um, sculling is literally the definition that Bruce Lee quote, you know, I don't fear the man who's practised 10,000 kicks. I fear the man who's practised the same kick 10,000 times. Uh if you are an elite scholar, that means you have an elite level perception of the water. Um, you have a great feel for the water that hundred percent. I'm going to take somebody with, with, uh, with a great feel for the water over somebody that's bigger, stronger, taller any day of the week. Um, and I think we've all seen that with David Papa rumor had it that that man spends hours just sculling every single day. And uh, based on his performance, I don't doubt it.
0: Yeah, he he's got a beautiful strike hmm mm-hmm. really not nice, really nice technique yeah i agree and what's your favorite freestyle set i know you do a lot of um
1: oh boy um my favorite freestyle set i'll give you two of them uh just because i've been doing things differently ordinarily when i'm really just in my 50s sprint mode my favorite freestyle set is going to be to snap on a bungee um and to just get off the wall break out with the fast eight strokes as, as quickly as possible uh, but lately I've been doing more distance work. So it's just going to be mainly us RPT set, uh, 25 meters, short course meters pool. Uh, we swim fifties on the one minute. The goal is to hit about 12 fifties on the minute. Uh, for me, that time would be 30 seconds, you know, so 30 on 30 off for a minute. Uh, that, that is my favorite freestyle
0: sets. What's your best time for the 50? Is it 25 long course?
1: My best flat start time is a twenty five one uh my best relay start time is closer to twenty four two that was performed in australia so you know yeah i'm 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 happy about that but uh yeah it, it it's real good it's it's always nice when you're able to set a best time at the Paralympic stage uh and that's you know that was a year ago i haven't well, I guess I have, but like you know, you, you get what I'm saying here. That 25 won, well, is what well won a bronze medal.
0: Uh, I get what you're saying. <laughs> When's the next big comp coming up?
1: Uh, Twenty to, oh, in 20. To, well, next week I'll be headed to national championships for the Paralympics. Uh, so I'll be swimming three events there: 200 meter freestyle, a 50 meter butterfly, and a 50 meter freestyle. Uh, next year, obviously, there's World Championships happening, uh, so that's going to be very exciting. We've got a World Series before that, so. You know that could land me in melbourne it could land me in italy uh it could land me in 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 indianapolis uh but we will ultimately have worlds i believe in london next year uh and that's for sure hands down the biggest competition of the year uh but i always say this you know you can win all the national championships you want you can even win all the world championships you want Uh, but at the end of the day when people talk about your career in swimming uh, they're really only going to care about one thing: how many Olympic or Paralympic medals did you win? Uh, so everything between that Paris performance, no matter how big the competition or how small, is practice. It's, it's all practice for Paris at this point.
0: And also, Jamal, I think when they speak about you, they're going to also remember the wonderful work that you're doing around swimming with the, with your foundation and your work at the UN. So there's two things to remember. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
1: Hands down, you know, like I said, the pro swimming thing, it really is just like a vanity pool for me, you know, like if you got to do something for work in this world, you might as well do something you love, right? So th- that's really what the pro swimming thing is for me. But um, yeah, I think in terms of actually making the world a better place and a lasting legacy, dear God, please do not let me be known as the guy who could swim fast. <laughs> I think you're, you're known
0: for that as well as all your other good doings. So I think you're on, you're, you're on the right road.
1: <laughs> Good. <worry. laughs>
0: well, Jamal, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. It's really lovely of you to share the time. And I think everyone's going to really enjoy listening to your swimming journey and what you've talked about today. So thank you very much and hope you have a Merry Christmas.
1: Danielle, you're very welcome. Merry Christmas. And I'd love to come back and do the show another time.
0: Oh, I'd love to have you. Yeah, oh, on? wait, we almost
1: missed it. You got to tell everybody. Listen, go follow me at SwimUpHill on Instagram. Go follow me at SwimUpHill.com, JamalHillOfficial.com, SwimUpHill.org. Just Google Jamal Hill Swimming or Google Swim SwimUpHill Jamal, and you're going to find everything you need from LinkedIn to Facebook to Twitter to Instagram to our websites to our stores, to our shops, to getting involved. That's all you need to do. Thank you so much, Danielle.
0: You're very welcome. Thank you, boss. I hope you enjoyed Jamal's story. I'll put the links to both of his websites in the show notes. So if you want to look at those, go ahead and follow those links and it will take you straight through. Don't forget that this week we'll be live at the FINA World Short Course Titles in Melbourne. And any snippets of putting together the podcast over the next week, I'll be posting on our Instagram page. And you can follow that at torpedo underscore talk. So make sure you like it and follow it, otherwise it won't show up in your feed and you'll miss out on any of the interviews that we're doing with some pretty world-class swimmers hoping to get on the podcast for next week's show. Till next time, happy swimming and bye for now.